Hey everybody, you are now listening to part two of a conversation on foot strike and how it impacts running. So you are jumping into the middle of a conversation. So if you have not yet, please go back and listen to part one of our conversation on foot strike and the impact that has on running. Thanks y'all. Enjoy the round table. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is a genuine question for you guys. Um, talking about injury rates, uh, have when the, I mean, when you look at total injuries encompassing all runners, the top three major, most major injuries: patellofemoral pain syndrome would be number one. Iliotibial band issues yeah. is number two. Then I, I can't remember what number three is, but it's like two or three. The two or three at the top are at the knee, yeah. and then you you finally go down to the foot for like plantar fascial issues. Um, we'll have to check that because depending on which study you read, they will they will have those different listed at right different orders. Knee issues as the top, other ones lift ankle like Achilles and plantar fascia as the number one. So it kind of depends on who you read. How they group them too. Yeah. That brings up an interesting point in itself because you think about the vast majority of people that are a rear foot striker versus a forefoot or midfoot striker, you're bound to have more injuries in that category, especially if uh, a strike pattern in and, in and of itself is not necessarily more predisposed to a injury or a risk factor. So if you have way less forefoot strikers by, you know, by deductive reasoning here, you're, you're going to have less ankle injuries based on loading here. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, yeah. that's kind of what I was thinking about. Yeah. Side note, shout out to Dr. Candelore, uh, who asked that question, who was my roommate in grad school. Oh, no way. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> um, you ready for the next question? Yes. All right, this is from Nobby John Matthews. I love that name, Nobby John Matthews. Okay, uh, their question was, I spent a few years running heel strike and eventually got a minor knee impact injury. Since then, I've been using a midfoot strike, which amplifies the load towards the ankle. And he was saying that based on that, on what we posted on our Facebook page. I just showed the different load. I haven't had an injury yet. And again, so he's asking, how is, how is that, like, is the ankle more resilient for these forces or not? What's going on there? I think, again, it depends on the individual. For him, yeah. based on his mechanics, that may just work better for him. Given a history of knee problems, switching to his foot strike may have helped. There are other ways to accomplish that. Foot strike is not the only answer, but it can be one of them. And if that's working for him, great. That's awesome. Yeah. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think I I would love to sit down with with him and hear a little, little bit more about his his story of how he came to that conclusion because I think a lot of times people jump to you changing your foot strike pattern as number one and I I almost would say he's pretty lucky <laughs> that he hasn't 
gotten an injury. Anecdotally, kind of the, the people that I, I see in the clinic, we, we, I work in the running specialty clinic, and when I get runners in, a lot of times it is switching to, to a four-foot strike pattern, and then they'll come in with, with a plantar fascial issue or an Achilles or a post-tib, post-tibialis tendon issue. And we're not trying to scare you, right? Because certain people it works well. Yes. But a lot of people, what they do, and what Nate, I think Nathan, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm not meaning to talk over you, is what you're alluding to, is that people will f- switch their foot strike and they're not changing the source of the problem, which for a lot of runners, and I'm going to make a generalization, a lot of runners have a problem with load management. Yeah. They do not have good shock absorption, and they switch their foot strike, which alleviates the problem for a little bit, but then they start having problems again because, again, you did not improve your ability to shock absorb. Yep. That's yeah, and that's where I was going because I'll, I'll well, get right runners in. Exactly. Quick. No, you're good. I, I think it's perfect. But uh, I think that's what you guys were saying is there's other variables to look at. So trying to figure out with these, with these runners, what are the other variables before you change how you're running? Because you're, com- right. you're choosing that as a comfortable pattern for you. So let's look at what muscles are you using to absorb your shock? How much how much are you absorbing? So like doing a detailed running analysis and seeing what's your actual um, joint motion that you're having at, at the knee, at the hip, at the ankle, and then breaking down how strong are the muscles that are needing to use that load. So like how strong is your quad? How strong are your other hip, hip extensors? Can we, can we increase the capacity of your glutes or of your hamstrings or of your quad to be able to handle some of the load demand that's put on it? Um, and that's what you're talking about with load management is are you are you putting too much load on it, which would be like your running frequency, intensity, the volume of your running, but I mean, also your training, right? Like, are you training the smart right way? Yes. Yeah. Are you over? Are you strength? Are you, strength, are you strong enough? Are you strength training? That's the yeah. other factor. And are you strength training correctly? Because some people, you know, we I think something newer in the world of physical therapy is using surface EMG to start analyzing the use of certain muscles during functional activities like running. And so let's say you're not using your glute at all, or you're not using your hamstring at all, or you're not using your quad at all, you're trying to run without an activated muscle, um, you're going to run into issues. That's another deep dive that we're not going to do right now. But before changing your strike, determine other factors. Yes, thank you. From the evidence, and David, you want to talk about the evidence on strength training and like what as the like in terms of what things we know actually reduce running injury risk? Oh, definitely. I mean, just being strong to to sum everything up. I mean, being a good athlete first is going to save you tremendously in being a runner. You have to be in a certain level of amount of shape in order to run because you're doing these simultaneous unilateral single leg jumps constantly. And maybe they're not true jumps, you have a cadence to this, but for all intents and purposes, you're landing with greater than your body weight's force into the ground and then coming off of it over and over and over again over the course of several miles. And that's going to put a certain amount of stress through the rest of your body. And so if you're not conditioned to take that kind of a load, you're almost asking for an injury. And so uh, there's a bunch of, in, like, it, like uh, not resources, uh, like studies out there that show, like, even something as simple as, like, oh, activate your core, activate this. Like, 
trying doing that still doesn't respond as well to adding a true axial load to the spine, which forces it to activate and lock down and create those things. And so I think that there's a very positive and good amount that you can gain from strength training and whether it's proximal stability or even just, just the big muscles, having a strong glute, having a strong quad, being able to plantar plantar flex forcefully when you have to kick, or if you are a forefoot striker, make sure you have strength, but also endurance as well, because this is a distance sport. And so just like anything else, it's everything requires an adaptation and you have to do the things in the right sequence of order to build these adaptations to do what you want to do. You can't just jump straight to it. And maybe you could, but you'll probably be injured a couple months down the road and be seeing me in the clinic. So <laughs> summarize, summarize some of that stuff. Yeah. One of the few interventions for decreasing injury that consistently has been shown to actually decrease injury across the population in the research has been strength training yeah. because it increases your body to tolerate the stress and it, which means your body won't, you can do more and your body won't break down. Pretty much everything else is not consistent across literature. It doesn't mean it doesn't work for a subset of the population, right? So people yeah. talk bad about stretching, they talk bad about foam rolling, all this kind of stuff. It, that stuff is very person's individual specific, right? But across the board, getting stronger doesn't hurt. Of course, yeah. like thing, also get strong the right way, right? Don't and this Overtraining applies to strength training just like it does to running. So it's all about say, optimizing the amount of, of stress your body can tolerate. And it's actually pretty remarkable how much stress you can even tolerate through muscular tension in and of itself. Right. And the amount of stability you get from muscular tension. And that doesn't mean like in terms of tight. That means it contracting to control forces that are being put on it. Right. I mean, you could have this is a way big side tangent off of running, but say someone tears their ACL and they're still able to walk around because that hamstring is tightening up on the backside to support them. Like it's, it's possible to have muscular support around these things to support these passive structures that are put in place as a fail-safe mechanism, but they're not meant to take the primary load. So, and for that reason, that's why, again, you want to, be yeah. you do want your muscular, muscular system absorbing the shock rather than more on your joints. Right, because your joints can tolerate that, but to a certain point, you want a majority of that coming to your muscles, and those, but those muscles better be able to tolerate that load. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. And to be honest, getting stronger takes a lot less time than changing your foot strike. I told, I mentioned earlier, anecdotally, it's going to take you six plus months to change your foot strike consistently, so it doesn't require a lot of extra mental energy from you. It's going to take you six to eight weeks to actually build some strength, yeah. right? Eight to eight, yeah. eight, twelve, right? But and it's, and some people even less than that, right? So that is much less time to make a significant difference in your strength versus going through a half year plus of changing that. Not to say it's not worth it for some people, but just in terms of time management, strength may be better. So if you want to increase the resiliency of these joints, instead of thinking about foot strength, you should probably be thinking about your training load and your strength. Yes. Yeah. So Dr. Candler, to answer that, and the, uh, the other couple of questions, right? Resiliency, you can change that. So focus on the strength component. Yeah. Then we can talk about foot strength. Modifiable factors for resiliency. Yep. Yep. Okay. Ready for the next question? Yep. This is a pretty personalized question. So okay. it's a little bit deeper. It's, uh, this is from... Basically, it's the case reports, individual. 
Yeah, here we go. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> uh, then, then we can do a pre-public. I'm out. <laughs> Literally all of the days is like research, so that's... All right, anyway. This is from Simon Langford. Uh, they say, I try to do midfoot strike, but I often get pain in my flexor longus. I think, he mean, I think he's referring to flexor halysis longus, yeah. Yeah. in my assumption, which makes me switch back to heel strike. Is there a successful, successfully adopt, is there a way to successfully adopt midfoot strike when having a sensitive flexor halysis longus? Maybe a shoe recommendation. That's a great question. My first That's a great question. My first suggestion would be before you look at a shoe, you need to make sure you have enough length at the at the flexor halysis longus, right? So that's the one that, that that pulls down your big toe, right? Big toe. Yeah. So you're again. So it's and it's a it is one of the muscles that does contribute to both to if you're landing at a forefoot strike with shock absorption, and when you go over, it also contributes to plantar flexion. So push off, right? So. You landing in that position may be more low than it can tolerate, where it's going to be a little less, it may be a less active with the rear foot strike. So your first thing you should be working on is how do you strengthen that? Which, again, you know, there's a great exercise. You just attach a band to this at the top and just work on pushing that down and kind of working, fatiguing that out. That would be a good thing. Do you guys have any suggestions on a shoe for that? That's a little challenging. Yes and no. I, I feel like I'm in a similar boat. Like I don't have great, great toe flexibility. Mm -hmm. I have like just enough to get by with pretty much every pair. How much do you have? Uh, probably in the ballpark of like right around like maybe 50 to 55, like, like touching maybe 60, but like on a good day, like normally. By the way, for normal walking, you need at least 60 degrees of great yeah. toe extension, right? So that the joint needs to go 60. Oh, I think it doesn't go that far. 60 degrees, right? So just being, to walk. Yeah, yeah, just to walk. Running can be a heck of a lot more than that in terms of the requirements. So David's going to be able to speak to this from <laughs> personal experience here. So David, what do you think? Yeah, so it's like as much as I'd love to say like, oh, yeah, flexible forefoot's awesome. That's not always the case. If you don't have the range of motion and you go into it and you can't actually bend, you're almost asking for it to have like increased tension on the bottom or on the Achilles there. So like I think – it's it's almost wise to look into a shoe that has like a little bit of a toe spring built into it. Yep. Um, whether or not you need like additional forefoot stability, you would talk to Matt about that. But <laughs> um, that's that's a that's a secondary component here. But I think having that little bit of rounded curvature there to kind of assist that impairment for you to kind of fall off and kind of hit that toe off a little smoother, since yeah. you don't have that flexibility available, that might be something worth looking into. And it's not that hard to find it on a shoe you just set it flat on the ground and you'll you'll notice or you look at their shoe I, website and look the at the most, picture from inside Oko is the most verbal with this in terms of they have some shoes that has an early stage meta rocker where the starts a little farther back that might be something that they want to consider nathan what do you think yeah i before i get, would give my shoe recommendation i'd i'd want to ask you know ask simon some more questions about like what are his goals with transitioning I mean, we've talked about this a ton already, but um, just what, yeah, I, I want to know what he's looking into because maybe there's not enough out there. Maybe we'd be able to talk about it. Maybe it's not worth switching, you know, just based on what we know in the research there, there's not that many good reasons to switch unless you're having other issues, maybe. And you've tried other things. 
Um, but that'd be my first thing is let's chat. Let's figure out why you want to do that, what your goals are, and see if there's another way to get there. Um, not that you shouldn't switch. I'm just, I'd want to explore that first. But if you are looking for a shoe, I would, you guys can correct me if, if, if you think differently or whatever, but I, I think I, for that situation, I'd want um, a more anteriorly placed rocker um, that just accentuates more of the, more of the forefoot rocker instead of doing the ankle rocker and the midfoot. And for me, the, the one that did it the most for me is the glide ride. When I ran in that thing, the, the, that rocker is really far forward. It's really far forward and it really feels like you're just falling up onto your toes. So in terms of, when we talk about rockers, when you're, when you're going through your day cycle, there's three of them just really quick. So if you land on your heel, there's the heel rocker where you roll over your calcaneus, your heel bone. Then when your foot is flat on the ground for a midfoot striker, your, your tibia or your shin is moving over your ankle. That's called your ankle rocker. And then at the end, you roll up on the ball of your foot and that's called your forefoot rocker. And so, you know, depending on his issue, if he has a, if he has lack of flexibility in his big toe, for extension, then maybe go for a forefoot rocker. But if it's a strength issue, um, then maybe you look for a shoe that has an earlier phase rocker. So maybe like a glide ride if it's a flexibility issue. But if it's a strength issue, maybe something that's doing the rocker, the the ankle rocker portion for you. So maybe an early stage meta rocker from the, from Hoka. But those are some thoughts. But I, don't, I don't think shoes are usually the answer to fix problems. I think shoes are the solution to not create a problem. Right. I don't, yeah. All the evidence thus far has suggested that shoes do not prevent injury, but they can certainly cause one. Yes. It's the wrong one. And again, Nathan brings up a great point for all of those people who ask us about pain and injuries. We, without assessing you in person or through telehealth and sitting down doing a full evaluation, checking with your medical history, checking with your goals, checking what, you, what you've done, we really can't give you a true advice on how to fix this stuff because we need all that information. We can give you some quick suggestions right now as we're doing is like, oh, what shoot, maybe this, but Nathan makes a good point. We can't truly advise you on that because we don't know all the other variables that could influence this. And as he mentioned, right, honestly, before you switch your shoes, you should be looking at your own mechanics and the, your own, like, strength and all those other factors yes. before, you know, going in a shoe rampage and purchasing a million things. I have many patients that do that and then all of a sudden realize, hey, I just bought, like, eight different pairs of shoes when I could have fixed this with something totally simple. So, yeah. again... The, we would have to figure out where the source of your issue is, and we don't know that. And Nathan brings up a good point because our suggestion really needs to depend on where that is. That's yeah. a to rally off of that, too, just since I was kind of like the personal case report here on our team, with uh, I do work on intrinsic foot stability, and I do work on great toe flexibility when I can. It's an impairment, and I want to try and make it better, so that for, therefore it doesn't affect my running as much. And people yeah. frequently have weak feet, right? They do not have very good, right? This is anecdotal, right? But they, typically the runners that I see do not have very good intrinsic foot strength, right? So that is very important. Just a quick definition for those. Intrinsic foot strength, intrinsic means 
like a muscle that starts and ends within the foot. So you might not know it, but there's, I don't know, 16, 20 some. No. A lot. So the people. It's a very dense area of musculature. There's four different layers on the bottom of the foot alone of musculature. Four different layers of muscles, yeah, which includes like 20 some muscles in total. So we typically don't strengthen those independently unless you've learned that probably from a PT. So you can look up intrinsic foot stability and start to work on that too. So, Although if you're uh, about it, there's also some evidence to suggest that just going and walking barefoot you know, the appropriate amount on a safe surface can actually also improve the strength of those yeah. muscles. Sweet. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, uh, let's do, uh, let's just do one more question here. Maybe we'll do more. We're going to do we're going to do one. This is again. I think we're trending towards people wanting to hear about how shoes influence this. Yeah. So here's a question from uh, Niall Clements, but also one from Bruno Casatari. So the question is basically, how much does the shoe itself uh, dictate foot strike? Does a lower drop help people who want to change from a heel to a midfoot strike? Is it okay to mix different drop shoes? How does a rocker sole affect foot strike? What are the influences of shoes on foot strike? Well, I think uh, one thing to look at real quick. Now, I know most of our viewers are racing on roads. However, you could take a look at a track spike, and that's going to very evidently, like, it's going to change the way you land because it's going to almost force you to land more forefoot, midfoot, because you need to be quicker on your feet in doing a track race. And so the build of the shoe can influence the strike to some degree, but it, it, over the course of a race or a run, you're, you're going to kind of fall back on what you know. So um, it, it can only change it to so much, and I don't know if, if it will really change that much based on, like, influencing you in, quote-unquote, making a change. Um, I think that's going to come more from, like, neuromuscular re-education in terms of creating that change i don't think the shoe is going to do that necessarily for you i don't know matt might disagree but i would we'll see no i actually i totally i i I agree that again and you again to go off david there's a lot of other factors that are going to influence foot spare so it's not just the shoe so when you're um anecdotally you might see people land a little farther back right just with more cushioning and stuff like that but there's not a ton of evidence on that fact um, and then going the other way, you would expect people to land a little bit more forwards if they go to barefoot strike or, or the barefoot or minimalist shoe. Evidence has actually shown that not to be true. What actually happens when you go to less shoe is you still see the same variations in foot strike. You still see a ton of people landing with the rear foot strike, even running barefoot, right? What does significantly and consistently change between sh- shoe and non-shoe or little shoe is your step rate, so your cadence changes. Foot strike does not seem to be as responsive to shoe changes as step rate does. This is from the McCallion 2014. 
Uh, I have one from Hatala at all in 2013 is where I'm talking about the, um, oh, wait. Say that one again. The McCallan at all 2014. Yeah, for the, in regards to step rate changes, so cadence changes more, more, uh, responds more. Contact than, time on the ground. That, re that responds more in with changing foot type than, uh, than other, than your shoe and foot strike. There, yeah. there was another study I was looking at that I found interesting as well, saying that like between the percentage of loading forces between like a uh, shot or whatever, like like shoe versus no shoe or minimalist shoe, doesn't change all that much in terms of the percentage of where you're landing and the amount of forces going into your respective joint or region. And so it kind of shows that there's not really that much of a difference between say stack height, cushion, minimalist, whatever. So that's why I think like the variation, when I said earlier, like over the course of a race, you're going to kind of fall back on what you know. Right. Um, you're going to go back to your own cadence and how you land, regardless of what shoe you're wearing. Now, and just and that last comment about, oh, it's just different drops and stuff like that. Some variety is good, right? Having a variety yeah. of shoes oh, is, is preferable, right? And we know that from the research that shows that kind of switching your shoes up a little bit does actually tend to decrease your injury risk, right? Because you're having different loads and different responses and different muscles that are being loaded. So that's and that kind of that spreads the load out across a greater variety rather than just putting it into one thing. So just make sure you obviously take time to adapt to each one, right? So I think it's great having a variety of shoe types or a variety of heel offsets, stuff like that, I think is very good, especially for longevity and um, overall trying to potentially decrease your injury risk. What do you guys think? I agree. Um, I, you know, going... This is personal experience where, you know, when I started wear testing uh, with doctors running, um, before that I was wearing, I basically only ran in the 12 millimeter drop shoes. That was just my, my comfort zone. That's what I liked. And now I have to run in everything and that's awesome. It's super fun. Um, it took me. It, except stability shoes. <laughs> except stability shoes. I do not. I'm allergic. I'm allergic to them. Except, except the ones that have full length like I, I would say i'm allergic to posted shoes like like we said some shoes for certain people can cause it. anyway that's a tangent it, it took it took me it probably took me that six months to get used to the four millimeter drop shoes um like when i first started testing one of the one of the shoes i had to test those four millimeter was the speed trl sketchers um from sketchers and that took me that was hard to adapt to for me it had a rocker sole and it had a four millimeter drop. So I remember standing in those things thinking my heels were lower than my toes. Um, it had plate too. Yeah. It had yeah. plate in it. I, I, so, yes, I, I agree. Good to, good to switch up um, your drops, but um, we don't know why those load changes because we don't, it's not because it changes your foot strike, um, but it has just enough change in, in the loading that it can create some variability so you don't overload the tissue. So, but if you're going to switch big, take it slow. And again, it may not exactly change your foot strike type. It may change the, how exactly how like the inclination angle, which is again, inclination angle, saying that. That's, that really just talks about the angle at which you land, right? Angle being between your tibia and your foot. So, and we do know there is actually research that that, that angle, Right, even for people that are heel strikers, 
Landing here versus here, there's very different amounts of load that goes into the ankle or and the rest of the body. So the, the shoe might change it a little bit, but not enough to go, oh, you're going to be a four-foot striker now, or oh, you're going to be a heel striker now. Yes. You don't know, right? That's, that's just me. said it better. That from that. So they could, that could be one of the mechanisms, but we really don't know. Yeah. yeah. Did that answer the question? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, think so, yeah. The one, the one other thing I'll add in when they're asking about how does rocker sole affect foot, foot strike, that's not studied in the, in the research, but I do know from wear testing that some, some rocker, all rocker soles are built differently. I think that's the first thing. Rocker sole is not a full term. We kind of talked earlier. They can be positioned more forward, more further back. They can be full length. They can just be isolated to one area. Um, depending on where it position it can make certain strike patterns really uncomfortable <laughs> um or some more comfortable like um and this is not bashing shoes this is just explaining my experience like the sketchers max road four was brutal as a heel striker because it was a it was a pretty accentuated uh rocker posteriorly and it, it was just hard but when i would focus on landing forward it felt smoother so the shoe didn't change my foot strike. I changed my foot strike because it was less comfortable um, or because it was more comfortable to switch. So um, we, don't, we don't know, but that was an anecdotal little thing that I experienced with sometimes it felt more comfortable to run based on the type of rocker that was in there. Definitely. I mean, I had the same experience in the Vaporfly 4% where like, I mean, Matt knows that like, if I can get it moving, I like to get it moving. And but I, I land pretty aggressively and like landing on the forefoot with the vapor fly for some reason for me like I, it just wasn't very smooth and I like when I shifted back a little bit more not so much to like like a back of the heel but like kind of like more of a midfoot maybe even midfoot slash rear foot like and this is all perception right I mean we don't actually we'd have to get some measurements and all the good stuff out to to really see that but it felt so much smoother for me to just sit back a little bit. And then it's a marathon shoe too. You're not meant to just be cranking out 1500s in these things. So, um, but yeah, I had, a, I kind of had to adjust my landing pattern a little bit and same goes for the endorphin pro a little bit as well. I mean, either the endorphin pro is much smoother at both than the Vaporfly for me personally. Um, but I noticed that in the Vaporfly that I, I almost had to shift the way I was landing on the ground to make it feel smoother. So. All right, we got one last question and this can be our concluding thoughts because that's the type of question it is. So um, take this as a, what are your conclu conclusions on foot strike after reading all the research, doing your lit review and these co this conversation? Brian Allen is asking, so which is best? It depends. It depends on the person. Thus far, again, all the systematic reviews, again, which is like a meta-analysis when we don't do statistical stuff, right? It pulls all these studies together to try to find a conclusion. All of the evidence thus far has said, um, and I'll quote um, Anderson et al., I'll quote uh, Hamill, the injury rates aren't different. The performance isn't different. The economy isn't different. Um, and neither one, like, yeah, it doesn't, and neither one totally eliminates impact, even though you'll see the, like, differences in the impact radiance and stuff like that, the transients, and, like, 
neither one is better than the other one. It's going to work better for different people, probably because of other variables, right? I think the conclusion has been that foot strike is a result of other things. And while you can change it, I don't think it's worth changing the status of, again, as we talked to independent versus dependent variable, I think foot strike is mostly a dependent variable and it's not worth switching that to an independent variable. So one isn't better than the other one. It's going to work better for different people. And if you're not having problems, I would not suggest changing. And if you are having problems, I think it should be a last resort because it's the largest investment to do it, to change that, to do it well, it's the largest time investment. What do you guys think? <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself, to be honest. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's not, like you said, it's not really worth changing. And I don't think one's better than the other. There's countless studies now at this point that show running economy doesn't really change depending on either foot strike pattern. Although it does and, to change it acutely. And acutely, yes. If yeah. you change it, yeah, yeah, it can go against you more than it can go for you in most cases. Almost all cases. <laughs> there might be some rare person out there that that's not the case. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm. I agree completely. Nathan. Yeah, I think it summed up. It summed up in the in that phrase. It depends. You know, which which is better for what scenario. You know, if you're a person with, I said this to these guys earlier, you're going to have to come up with a really convincing argument to me to say, hey, I'm going to switch my, my foot strike pattern. It has, to, it has to be that you've exhausted your other options. There's easy, more easily modifiable factors for pretty much everything. To become a faster runner, there's modifiable factors with your training, with injury, there's modifiable factors within your strength and flexibility. There's a lot of other things that you can work on. Um, so it depends, you know, that's and, what I would say. And again, it also depends on all other factors like the surface you're running on, the situation, your speed, all these other things, the events you're doing. Um, David, earlier before we were doing this, brought up a great point. So one of the, arguably one of the greatest distance runners of all time, his name is Kennedy Smikhaley, at least the men's side. Women, that's up for argument. Men's side, right, he's had the 5K, 10K world record. He still has the 5K, 10K. Two marathons. He's won an incredible number of, of Olympic gold medals. He's almost undefeated in cross-country races. Um, and he's two seconds off the legitimate world marathon record. So he has incredible range. If you want him, watch him on the short distances, right, he's pretty far up forward, pretty far forward. But if you watch him when he's running cross-country races or toward the end of a marathon, it really depends. It depends on where he is. It depends on the surface. It depends on whether it's uphill, downhill. It depends on the, on the how stable or unstable. It depends. And so someone like him makes me think, and I don't have any evidence behind this, outside of the fact that most runners over the course of a marathon will tend to go farther back because of more of a rear foot strike as the, as, as the distance increases. It may be better to, instead of saying which one is better, it may be better to, to suggest try to get good at both so you can switch back and forth depending on what you need right so going this is a tool yeah sorry each one of these tool which one works better right now the, yeah and that brings up an amazing point because one of the studies i was looking at was showing that there wasn't a 
in an acute change, say that you are a rear foot striker and you switch over to a forefoot striker, at slow and medium speeds, you're at a higher energy expenditure. But once you go to those fast speeds, it doesn't really matter anymore. And so it's like you, it's like this idea of changing gears and just be used to doing that and having these variable cadences, varying terrains, varying conditions. Because, yeah, you're very right. I mean, I love Canyons of Akela. You watch him run a sub-13 5K, the guy's, like, basically springing on the front of his foot constantly. And then, like, you watch him in a marathon or on any of the videos with the NN running team and, like, a long run or something, he's not exactly landing that way. And it's like, it's not universal. I mean, even within someone like that, it's so varied and it's so dependent on what he's doing. And so just try to get good at both. There's a reason why you have speed workouts. There's a reason why you have long runs. There's a reason why you have hills. There's a reason why you have easy days. And you get used to all of these different things and it's just a part of training and becoming a better athlete. So. Awesome. Nathan, when you do you see that or is that something that you you have anything to add to in terms of the because you i think of all of us you truly see the most runners giving it a run specialty clinic so what do you think uh, in terms of that last idea of, of training yeah. to be good at them uh that's not something i see people doing in the clinic yeah. like i don't have the most of the runners that i see are recreational runners um and I, I don't see people coming in purposely training different foot strike patterns. Um, typically, that's a that's a rare thing. Um, Let's go against what I said earlier about maybe don't worry about this. Well, I think yeah. you can correct me, but I think it's almost more important on like the idea of cadence and effort and pace rather than the actual strike. The strike will just kind of happen. Yeah, but. I what I say to my runners. Who, who are really battling through this, like, I really feel like I need to switch to a certain strike pattern more so than, you know, more so than saying like, hey, develop this as a skill and develop that as a skill. I, most of the people that I work with, it's more helpful to right size the issue. So let's right size heel strike, realize that the evidence is saying that there's a lot, uh, a lot less benefit than theory might suggest to, to switch to a certain strike pattern. So let's right size it. Let's figure out what you can actually um, truly modify more quickly. Like we've talked about how long it takes to switch your strike pattern versus making strength changes. Um, uh, and I, I actually say that for pretty much all modifications to your gait. You know, like if, if I'm working with an injured runner, if we're talking about somebody who's trying to in increase performance, that's a little bit of a different scenario, but Somebody's just trying to switch their pattern for, for injury reasons. I more try to right size it than say, hey, you should probably get good at both. Um, That's fair. So, in summary, but, is, for those asking, neither rear foot or forefoot strike is, neither one's better than the other one. They have different, they load different structures, they have different structures that are more at risk for injury. The injury rates are not different, running economy is not different. And there's a lot of other factors that influence them, right? Depending on the distance that you're running, that might influence that, but it's probably because of step rate, speed, and other things. So what we can suggest to you is, although there are some minutiae and differences that we talked about, it's really better to focus on your training load, right? Training smart, making sure you are strong enough, right? Being able to, to, to change things that you can have a much quicker effect on. Yeah. And 
you know, in terms of shoes, just it goes back to the things we've talked about. A little variety is key, but when it comes to shoes, finding the thing that's most comfortable and works well for you, not your running buddy, not the guy next door, not the gal that talks on Instagram or Facebook. It's what works for you, and it's very dependent on the person. So before you go looking to change your foot strike, there's a lot of other things to look at first. Yeah, I agree. Well, everybody, thanks for hanging with us through this. We got to talk about a lot of – oh, no. For those of you who are just listening, <laughs> there's some very um, – Okay, stay on target. No oh, fight. my gosh, the Cowboys mug just stay appeared. Oh, it's awful. Okay, well, let's try this again. Uh, thanks for sticking with us through this. Again, we are Doctors of Running. Um, you've stuck through our first virtual roundtable that talked about the art and science of – running itself and we talked about foot strike pattern if you have other questions or want to dive into stuff more we'll have this posted on our media platforms you can join discussion on there and uh if you would like to keep up to date with what we're doing please subscribe to our um, youtube channel like us on facebook and instagram and we'll be putting this out in podcast form as well so we're really excited about that um and thanks for sticking with us Go Cowboys. This is also going to be, I think, one of our longest episodes so far. So thank Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad you said something because Go Cowboys can't be the last thing that we said. Okay, Nathan, David, calm down. I'm Wisconsin. Um, for those of you that are curious, on our on the website, on Dr. Learning, I'm going to post a full reference list of the stuff that we talked about. We also want you to dive into the literature and see what you find. <laughs>